Welcome to the UP Notable Books Club, brought to you by the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. Michael B. Klassen has been writing and photographing Northern Michigan in newspapers and magazines for over 35 years, creating feature articles about the life and culture of Michigan's North Country. A journalist, historian, photographer, and author with a fascination of the world around him, he enjoys researching and writing about lost stories from the past. Currently, he is managing editor of the UP Reader and is a member of the Board of Directors for the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. In 2020, Michael won the Historical Society of Michigan's George Folo Award for Upper Peninsula History. But I want to welcome you all to tonight's Zoom call with Michael B. Klassen, the author of Points North. Michael, for those of you who don't know, is a pretty exciting author because he's the only one through year two who had two books nominated. Well, I shouldn't say nominated, two books awarded with the UP Notable Books recognition, okay? And now this year that we've started year three, Phil Belfi joins that special elite group <laughs> of people who've had two books on UP Notable Books list. So he is a celebrity and we have him tonight. Thank you, Michael, for coming. Uh, he's, he's muted himself. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We're going to take care of a little bit of business before we start. Um, so this is a book that we did uh, last I'm not year. Muted. And then um, we're going to be talking about Points North. And I'm hoping coming out, when does this book launch, Victor? It's out there a week ago. A week ago. This yeah. is Michael's brand, brand new book. True Tales, The Forgotten History of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. So we're hoping he gives us a little bit of a commercial for that one tonight. Um, we just got it here at the library today. And a little bit of news about next month. Next month, as you know, we are going to be reading The Women of the Copper Country. And a lot of you need the book. And I thought, because our library is part of the Great Michigan Read Program, they sent me lots and lots of these books. And I just thought I had more in the basement. Many of you wrote me last month and said, yeah, send me a copy. And I went to the basement and my box was empty. So I first tried to contact other UP libraries to see if other libraries maybe had a few extra and they didn't. So today I called down to Detroit and sure enough, they're gonna send me 24 more copies. So if you need this book still, please shoot me an email with your name and address and I will send it out. I might still have your name and address because there were about four or five of you who didn't get it last month who needed it. But just, it never hurts to remind me twice. These got sent to me today from Detroit. They should be here soon. And as soon as I get them, I'm gonna send it to you. And you will also get a reader's guide and a bookmark, all part of the Great Michigan Read Program, okay? So that's pretty exciting coming up next month. We're gonna meet on May 12th, six o'clock central, seven o'clock Eastern. Now, before Michael starts, I usually at this point ask Victor, the head of UPA, you know, both the Crystal Falls District Community Library and UPA pay the honorariums for these speakers who speak to us. So um, Victor, is there anything else you would like to add to the audience before we get started? Uh, thanks, Evelyn. Uh, I just want to say that our UP Reader Volume 6 
is finally out. It's now available in paperback and hardcover and ebook editions. Uh, and it's available on uh, all the platforms that you'd want to find the book. And the audio book will be coming out uh, around May 1st. So for those of you who like audiobooks, it'll be, I think, about nine hours because it's the biggest and baddest UP reader that we've ever put out. Uh, there's 40 contributing authors and more than 60 uh, stories and poems and uh, memoir pieces. It's, it's really exciting and I'm extremely proud of it. So thank you for giving me the chance and I will uh, turn over to Michael. Okay, thank you, Victor. And Michael, welcome. Talk to us about Points North. Um, Points North is my um, oh, is a project that I've done over the years for uh, um, for what started out as a column uh, that I used to do for outdoors magazines and um, newspapers and things like that. It used to be called Off Beaten Path, and what I um, the editor that I had ended up selling the name off the beaten path. So I had to come up with something new and it ended up being points north. Start documenting some of these little used and little known places um, that most people had never heard of. And because we have so many different little parks and campgrounds and stuff like here, uh, like that up here that really don't cost a lot. Little museums that ask for a donation, many places are free. Um, I decided to start documenting them. And basically my favorites out of all of that are what became Points North. Um, I spent about three summers going back, the ones that I had already written about, updating them. And the ones that I had on my endless list of places to check out the UP that I hadn't gotten to yet, um, I, hit, I started hitting so that we could have a nice array completely across the peninsula. Um, it ended up being a whole lot of different things, uh, ghost towns, museums, and campgrounds, and places to hike, um, places to paddle, all these, all these wild different things that uh, anybody can do up here. And so I, I went out and basically hunted down all of these places, hit them all, and um, experienced them all, and which really is, for me, the best part, being able to get out and really experience all of these different places and different things to do. Um, I've always kind of had that bug anyway. I'm one of those kind of guys that Whenever you see a sign pointing in some direction that has something at the end of it, I usually try to see what it is. It's just one of those kind of kind of bugs you get um, when you're traveling around um, up here. Actually, wherever I am, I do that. Um, if I see something that looks remotely interesting to me, I'll go and check it out. Don't really care about the condition of the road or where it's going to take me. I uh, just tend to go out and do them. It, it, it turns out to be a lot of fun and uh, like points north and doing the columns I did over the years allowed me to basically make a living out of going on vacation and so that's kind of kind of where that came out uh, 
some of my, I, of course, some of these um, places I ended up in were um, really quite, quite different. One of my favorite places was the um, Sturgeon River Gorge or the Stur Sturgeon River Wilderness area. Um, it's north of Sidna and kind of west of uh, Baraga in some of the most rugged uh, areas of the Upper Peninsula. And it's uh, strangely, as I was coming up to it, I um, there's a campground that's just north of Sidna there that has a sign on it and it has a magic marker with an arrow on it that says campground. Uh, it's just um, a cute little place. There's about six sites in there and it costs absolutely nothing to stay there. Just as long as you found a site, roll on in and you're right on the edge of the Sturgeon River. Uh, the cover of my book has actually the waterfall that's on the cover of my book is um, the Sturgeon River uh, Falls there. And it's really quite a remote place. One of the things that really had me worried because when I was back there, um, I was the only person there. And I was there in a tent with my ATV on the edge of the river. And I realized that after a while that being on the edge of the river was not the best plan because you can't hear anything. When it gets dark at night and you're out there by yourself in a tent, you really want to be able to hear if there are twig snappings or a bear sniffing or a variety of other creatures which might wander into your camp. And the river is so loud that you cannot hear anything but the river. And so that kind of that, that kind of experience sort of was interesting to say the least. Um, through the whole thing, I was a little bit on edge and usually I'm not that way when I'm out in the woods up there, but that region has cougar, black bear, wolves, um, all the wonderful big predators that the UP has to offer in one space. So I had, I was always kind of watching with eye, eyes in the back of my head and um, always listening when trying to hear if something's moving around outside or down the way or um, whatever. It was, uh, it was a fascinating place to be. I uh, really enjoyed it back there, but at the same time, it's reasonably dangerous, but it, it's wonderfully remote. And there are very, very few people that ever make it back to that part of the Upper Peninsula. Um, there are signs there along the river that say, please don't try to paddle this or you will die. And I mean, essentially, that's, that's it. Death is imminent if you try to paddle this river. And not too long ago, I had an old friend who I worked with for quite a few years on the uh, North Country Trail Group that um, he was hiking back there at the Sturgeon River Falls and that is where he died. Um, he apparently slept on the rock back there and um, fell down on the falls and was killed. And uh, 
he's probably about four or five years older than I am. And he was, he was out because he was the head of the North country trail group in the West end. Um, he was a very, very prolific and, uh, well-seasoned hiker. So I'm really kind of surprised that that happened to him, but, um, it was, it, it's quite a different place. There's, when you get out there, the, you got the ground, you got the falls. There's a place called Silver Mountain, which a lot of people try to uh, rock climb. Um, there was a, when I was there, there was a stairwell going up it that was in pretty serious disrepair. And the uh, U.S. Forest Service basically told me that they really weren't going to do much work on trying to repair it since everybody was rock climbing the place anyway, that uh, they thought the stairwell was becoming kind of moot. So, but it was really quite fascinating back there. Um, one of the other discoveries while doing the book that, um, and places I really kind of fell in love with was the old Victoria ghost town, which is over uh, south of Ontonagon by Rockland. I, Years and years ago, um, when they first started working on trying to restore this whole ghost town, um, I uh, met the people or the lady that really was running the organization. We've remained friends um, for all these years. And now I go over there annually because they have an arts and crafts show. And at the ghost town, it used to be, a, used to be an old copper mine. And... In that ghost town, um, the North Country Trail runs through, and it actually goes past the cabins. There's some of them there. Um, it goes past the cabins and then goes up a long hill up to where the mine head is, and through the Heist building, the hiking trail actually goes through the building, which is kind of fun. Um, the view from up there is magnificent that is there is what's left of the victoria mine itself it was a copper mine um and it is not far from where the uh what famed well-known Antonagon boulder sat it's just probably only about five miles away from where that was originally found so this cabin that uh victor had up there that just went by there Every year they open that up and during log cabin days and serve wood stove cinnamon rolls and coffee and do some reenacting and that sort of thing. But the place was completely open for people to go into and and, and check out how um, an old um, Finnish community used to live because this is the actually was former Finn community. Uh, they had a rather fascinating device there that was a gravity water pump that would shoot water up into the air to keep the uh, mine dry, probably about 50 feet in the air, maybe 60. It was absolutely huge and um, would freeze up in the wintertime. So they get these monster columns of and not there where the it's where the victoria dam sits now um which is also kind of fun to go check out 
So it's it's one of the more interesting places, but it's an it's a very very different type of ghost town than the one we're all familiar with, which is Fayette. Um, that uh, the uh, type of the way the log logs are constructed in these uh, stuff are really very very of the finished did it. There's um, that kind of dovetail notch in the cabins are um, how you can identify whether it was a finished cabin or not. Each of the different, um, probably the different cultures that came here from Europe had different styles of building, which they brought along with them, of course. And so, but uh, it really is a, uh, it's a really neat place to visit. It's completely off the beaten path. Um, you have to want to go there to get there. And uh, it's a taste of uh, the very, very early days of the Upper Peninsula. Um, one of the other places that I really, really like to uh, um, recommend that's in the book and uh, talk about is also um, the Ojibwa Museum that is in St. Ignace. Um, it's a museum completely devoted to Native Americans in not only St. Ignis, but um, the Upper Peninsula. They have um, different um, migration diagrams and things like that of where the um, our in indigenous natives came from or how they believe, what they believe they came from. Um, the uh, it's one of those places that I try to talk people into going and seeing before they go to like Mackinac Island and uh, Fort Mitchell and Mackinac and all that. So that they understand the history and the background of what became, came before um, the Europeans. And it helps also to understand what they encountered at the time um, going back to um other market and the early uh, Jesuit explorers. On the other side of the museum, there is uh, Father Marquette's grave. Uh, he was his body was supposedly retrieved from where it lay down by um, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where he he passed away and was buried by the natives. Um, some of the Jesuits, Saint Ignace natives, went down supposedly and retrieved the body and buried them right there near where the um, Ojibwa Museum is now. And there's a Father Marquette Memorial there over where um, he supposedly um, is buried at this point. There's a lot of controversy over where, whether it is really the actual body of Father Marquette or it's just people just believed that it was and um, you have gotten not necessarily the wrong, so it's, it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting story. So it's kind of fun to go check out the museum. Though I is really well done. It's really worth going into, and it certainly uh, displays the early um, indigenous life in the Upper Peninsula and the Great Lakes. So it's, it's one of those places I really, really 
lot of people to go to, and it's right there when you come across the bridge. There's the grave. <sighs> All right. So here it comes. Anyway, um, some of the other places in here um, are include um, uh, di different little uh, local campgrounds like um, Monaco Lake, which is right here near the, in the Sioux, or actually in Brimley. And uh, it's a U.S. Forest Service um, campground and lake. And it's right at the base of Mission Hill, which is not far from um, the casinos and the campers and all that. But it also is not far from where the Native American burial ground is on top of Mission Hill, which um, also has the um, burial ground for the um, shipwreck of the Myron. Um, they, uh, there were a lot of the Myron is story is actually in my new book and it's, um, has to do with one of the, it was a ship collision and all the sailors were lost and they were found along that shoreline, basically frozen in the ice. Um, and they had to be taken out and were married, buried in one large grave on the top of Mission Hill. And so, and Mission Hill is one of the nicest overlooks in the Eastern UP. It shows all of the um, St. Mary's River and um, Monaco Lake and Spectacle Lake. It's really just absolutely beautiful um, over there. Uh, so, some of the other places um, that are in the book that uh, are a little bit different is um, the uh, at the Cornish Pump Museum in Iron Mountain, they also have attached to it now a World War II glider museum. Um, the World War II gliders were planes that were made there in Kingsford. And um, they rebuilt the Ford plant in Kingsford to create these planes. And very, very few of them survived landing, which really doesn't give you a lot of faith in going in those planes. Um, but um, they were made of just wood and canvas. And virtually every one of them would come close to self-destruction on landing. Um, a lot of the guys that were in them died before they even got a chance to uh, um, get out and fight. Just, just from these gliders, but they were quiet. They could drop men in behind enemy lines in World War, and it was you know, they are very, very, very flimsy. I just was absolutely amazed at this. But the this little secondary museum that they got is, as far as I know, this is the only one that I have ever seen anywhere. Um, and they had one of the only surviving gliders inside the museum. And uh, it's really quite, uh, quite interesting. It's, it's also very, very unique. There it is. That's one of the gliders. And like I said, they 
were so light. I went over and took a peek at them, and uh, they basically are hardened canvas. And that's all, that's all that is there. And uh, that one is one of the only um, gliders left in ones. I saw a show a while back where some um, some archaeologists were over in Europe trying to find bits and pieces. One of one of the uh, uh, other interesting experiences that I had um, while I was doing this was a place. There's a place in there called the Tioga Pathway, and it's part of because of what happened here is one of the reasons that um, I wrote the book. The Tioga Pathway is near Deerton. It's right on the Laughing Whitefish River. And what this is, is it's a pathway that goes through a once upon a time ghost town. Uh, the town was Tioga and it was right there on the Laughing Whitefish River. And as you walk along through the woods, there are of course interpretive signs there um, that basically tell you what the history of the town right it has all the you know it has these interpretive signs which have had you know they've had a lot of wear to them over the years and they're start, starting to need some the place is starting to need some work but the first time i went there there was about 26 campsites there along with this hiking trail this wonderful interpretive trail now there are no campsites and the trail is becoming, shall we say, rather um, run over and in disrepair because there isn't getting any maintenance on it. Now, it's one of those kind of things that really sort of got me thinking really hard about um, when I was writing Points North, the idea that a lot of these places though they're little known, you go there and you think to yourself, wow, I really don't want to have to write about this because this is such a beautiful place you don't you don't want a lot of people back here but that breeds what happened at tioga the campground is gone the um trail is getting overgrown and it goes back to the idea that if we don't start letting people know that they're out there um if we don't start doing a little bit of that, then we lose them. The, you know, if the state or the feds or whatever who is control of this park or these places, um, local governments, if people aren't visiting them, they're going to take them away because they have to be having some type of use for them to want to put any money and time into them. And so one of the ideas behind Points North um, was to start getting word out about some of these places so that when we do go back to them, we don't lose them. It's, um, it's something that, you know, I'm starting to see in quite a few different places. When I first did the piece that's in Points North on Brevoort Lakes, there were three campgrounds there, two on one lake. One is now gone. And it's down to where there are two campgrounds there. Um, they were, um, since they weren't being used, now we have what I'm kind of laughingly calling ghost campgrounds. Um, there, I've come across several of them now. 
And it's, um, it really goes back to the idea that if we aren't making some use out of them, we won't have them. So that's part of why I do what I do with Points North and trying to get word out about a lot of these different types of places is, you know, because I have people come up to me all the time and say, why'd you tell them about that? Why'd you tell them about that? Well, so that you can still go back to it. And that's really been kind of my, uh, kind of my mantra about a lot of this stuff is we want these places to be there. Um, we want them out there. And uh, um, again, if we don't do something with them, they won't be. And we have between all of the different little state forest campgrounds, U.S. Forest Service campgrounds, um, little on um, hiking areas, waterfall walks, all these different things. We, we literally have, actually, I think there's over, there's 35 in Chippewa County alone of those little types of campgrounds and places. And they're like that from one end of the UP to the other. All these little bitty wonderful places back in remote areas that um, if we don't use them, they're all in danger. And, you know, some of them are extraordinary. Uh, there's a place over in Munising. This is not in Points North. It's something I'm kind of, I'm working on currently. It's a place called Cousineau Lake, Gemini Lakes, and Canoe Lake. And um, they're out just south of Pictured Rocks in the middle between Grand Marais and, um, between Grand Marais and Munising. And when you get out there, some of these campsites have like about 30. And then there's Canoe Campground, which has three. That's it, just three campsites. And it's probably the least used one of the bunch. But at the same time, it's also the nicest, the most private. And it's one that uh, I'd like to see stay there because it is, you know, it's an extraordinary little campground. And it's, you know, these small numbered places that I feel are in danger of, you know, being lost. So anyway, enough of that on that soapbox. <laughs> uh, do we have any questions at this point at all? Michael, I just wanted to say, um, I think that's a really interesting point you make about these things that, you know, if we, that are missing. And I, I missed it because you said, what was that first in Tioga? How many campgrounds were there? And then how, and now there's none. How many were there the first time? About 26. Wow. There were quite a few. And now, now. Um, right. It's just the pathway now. Jeez. Um, the pathway is still there and you can still walk that. But the um, actual ability to camp there is completely gone. They um, took it all out. Can so, I add something here? Sure. Absolutely. I'm, I live in Anota Township where the Tioga Pathway is. Last summer, Anota Township put in four campsites at that same spot. Now, they were just very rustic. Um, I don't know how it went but some government entity was supposed to take care of the um, 
outdoor john situation and whatnot now whether they're going to do it again this summer i do not know but i know exactly where he's talking about and everything so um you never know <laughs> just thought i'd add that uh, it'd be nice if they put put a few back there because it's such a beautiful spot um i i would like to see it back open the way it was and i'd like to see them go through there and refurbish all those interpretive signs for the town of Tioga. Um, it would really, really be nice. And, uh, but that's hopefully maybe they'll bring it back a little bit. That was always under the state of Michigan and the DNR's uh, purview back there. It's a, it's a state forest thing. So it should be through the DNR. Um, they should be the ones that are dealing with the campground and that property there. Yes, that was very interesting um, back there. In fact, one of the gals I was with, her aunt was a teacher at the school there. There was a lot of things back there for a short period of time. <laughs> mm -hmm. There was. It was one of my favorite places to go. Um, I was living over in a train at the time, so I spent quite a bit of time wandering around out there, and um, it... Uh, it was one of the sites that really kind of intrigued me because they had the interpretive signs. You could kind of look around and see what was supposed to have been there and get your imagination going a little bit. And it was, it was a lot of fun to be back there. Michael, we have a question. Thank you very much, Paula. Um, Michael, we have a question on the chat from Lori. She says, Michael, I truly enjoyed your book and I am using it to plan future excursions. My question is, is there someplace you have yet to explore that is on your list? Yes. I have a list of about 40 places yet. <laughs> so I, I, I certainly have enough for a, uh, um, not places listed um, to do another book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Points North 2, T-O-O. <laughs> But uh, yeah, there's a few few places I'm really really looking at getting back into. Um, I just uh, wrote something up on the Estevant Pines, which is up in Copper Harbor. It's an absolutely beautiful area of um, old growth white pines that they struggled for years to save up there from the uh, uh, from the loggers, and it is it's absolutely a beautiful walk. Um, I just posted something on the Okundigan Falls, which I went back to while I was over by Antonagan. Um, I want to get out to a place called Lime Island, which is here in the St. Mary's River. It used to be an entire, there used to be a village out there, and it is now basically a state park. It's all public land in the entire island. Um, but I'm told a lot of the ruins have been removed. Um, and so it's, it's going to be interesting to check out. I will probably end up going out there, spending, spending a couple of days and then trying to re retrace a history of the, uh, island itself at the same time. Um, that's, uh, that's one of I've had on my list for quite a while. Um, one of the other ones I want to do is go up to a place called Big Eric's Bridge which is north of Lance by a little town called Skaney. And um, that's another real remote wilderness area. But one of the stories that I did in uh, True Tales, the new book, 
there's a railroad grade that they built from Champion that runs all the way up to that area. And I want to be able to get back and explore that old railroad grade. Um, they uh, they were trying to make short from um, Champion up to Huron Bay on Lake Superior there where they thought they would be, they actually built an ore dock there, which eventually was burned down and taken down. But they thought they could, if they could ship the ore from Champion and in the Michigami area up there, that it would be cheaper for them to ship out of there than paying all the fees that they had to pay at the docks at Marquette. And they spent like five years building the railroad grade. A lot of people died from typhoid and all sorts of stuff going on back there. It ended up calling, costing close to $2 million to build it. The railroad train went up it once, flew off the tracks because of the grade. So anyway, I want to be able to retract that old railroad grade and um, kind of investigate a little bit, see if I can find some old artifacts and stuff back there from when that happened. So, but yeah, I've got quite a few things on my, <laughs> my list to go to. Um, so it's, uh, I, I'm still doing an awful lot of investigating. There are always places you don't go. I've never been able to spend time out in Sylvania wilderness area, which is down by water waters meat. That's, that's always been a bit on my list, uh, because it's always been, uh, referred to as the, um, Michigan's boundary waters. The picture that Victor just put up there is the engine that flew off into the river after the one run. Um, that's an actual photograph of it that I got from a historian in Marquette. Um, so, but that, that is in the, that's part of the new book is that old story there. So it's a neat old engine. I, I but it's probably I, the, go ahead. Okay, Michael. So, okay. <laughs> Um, and I know Mary, who's on the call, did the same as I did. As soon as I finished your book, I bought a copy. I have it in my glove compartment. And I bought copies for friends that are coming to the UP this summer that like to camp and hunt and, or, sorry, camp and hike. Um, but if you, if you were to pick one spot that really people should see, what would be the spot? Oh... That is so hard to hard, hard to do because there are so many different kinds of spots. Like I okay. said, right up there would be Old Victoria. Old um, Victoria. Okay, good. Yeah, that's that's really such a wonderful ghost town, and I like all the work that the people from the area have put into it. Uh, it's got a wonderful feel to it, and um, you can. I, I spent the night back there um, for a couple evenings. Um, and, uh, I was able to sit down by the dam during the night and got all this wonderful mist and stuff coming up out of the, uh, out of the dam and with the lights. It actually looked like it was a pool of molten lava by the time it was done. It was just really cool pictures, but I ended up staying awake the entire night, just down there by the dam, um, watching the water and the mist and all of that. It's just a really magical place. Okay. Um, I'm extremely fond of it. So, but there are so many different 
types of places that are in the book that it's really hard to pinpoint one because they have their um each one has its own real individual appeal you know you look at the black river if you're into waterfalls that's five of them in six miles it's yeah. an absolutely beautiful place to go um you can it's all boardwalked it's easy hiking it's and you know you're going from one breathtaking site to the next it just doesn't it just doesn't get old so it's they say there are just so many different so many different things you know mm -hmm. uh from the lighthouses to the waterfalls to everything so we've got a question um, on the chat from terry terry asks any plans to do a book on lighthouses in the up there doesn't seem to be <laughs> one out there um no <laughs> I have never really thought about doing anything other than individual light stations. I have one book on the Asaba Lighthouse, which is in uh, Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore. And um, I spent a lot of time working on that uh, book because there are close to 200 shipwrecks around there. And so I was working on documenting the shipwrecks, all the different events that went on in the lighthouse. I was able to get the lighthouse logs, um, which sometimes are a big issue. If you can't get the logs, it's really hard to uh, retrace the history. I spent some time on St. Helena Island, which is in the, in the Straits um, at the lighthouse there. And there is not a single log left. And to try and retrace its history is in my mind next to impossible just because of that. Now I was looking at, I was over at the Antonagon Lighthouse, which is under the um, purview of the Antonagon Historical Society. And they have all of the lighthouse logs, every one of them, uh, which is really kind of rare. And also the Antonagon Lighthouse, unlike most of the Lake Superior Lighthouses is in town it's not out somewhere where it's completely isolated. And so it would have an ex a really different type of history than uh, something like Asabo, where um, once they, the light keepers were dropped off there, they were kind of stuck there until somebody would provision them or whatever. They were so remote or like the lighthouses on Isle Royal or some of these other places. So, but to do one... Um, to try and do a book on all of the lighthouses other than just try and document where they are. Um, the histories are so complex that you're talking in my mind, by the time I got done with them, they would, it would be volumes. Um, there's just so many different things that go on at them. And I wouldn't be able to just stop with skipping over everything. I'm just one of those kind that um, once I start digging into it, you're going to get the whole thing or nothing. <laughs> so we have another, uh, another question on the chat. Now this is from Vanessa. She's been popping in and out. She's a, a young mother kind of in my area here. And her first question is, what is the strangest thing you've encountered while traveling in the UP? People. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, you I know, believe or, that. <laughs> <laughs> it, Sorry, it, it does tend to work. I'm like, uh, I have my kids. I'm trying to get them bathed and everything, but I have my camera off because they're running around. But I just want to say hi. I'm Vanessa. I asked the question. So thank you. Uh -huh. You're welcome. I, 
So people, so have you ever ran into anyone like in the middle of nowhere? Like, oh, yeah. And, and what was your experience with that? And what were they like? Like, what was the strangest thing you've ever dealt with? Well, I do a lot of hiking in the Porcupine Mountains, which is really always an extraordinary experience, no matter where I do it and who I run into and all that thing. And I was walking across what's known as the escarpment up there. It's what it's what you're on top of when you view Lake of the Clouds as the escarpment. And I was actually hiking the length of it. And I came across this, basically this hippie out there uh, wandering along and we kind of stood there for a few minutes and sat and chatted. And uh, um, we kind of kicked back and enjoyed the scenery and then took off and went both of our own directions. About four years later, when I was in Marquette, I was at this poetry thing that a friend of mine um, put on. We were working together on what was called the Great Lakes Poetry Society at the time. And anyway, he invited this poet in and to do a recitation at the local coffee shop. And when he got there, he kind of walked up to me and says, I know you. And I'm like, oh yeah? He says, Porcupine Mountains, the escarpment. And I'm like, yeah, got it. <laughs> we ended up remembering each other just from that little encounter um, out in the middle of absolutely nowhere and seeing each other years later. Um, it's just, it was kind of bizarre. Kind of cool too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Her other question is, I think, a nice one, especially for her and I and maybe Mary, those of us living in the Iron County. But she wanted to know, she lives just north of Amasa. What is your favorite thing to see in, in our area over here? I know you you covered Fortune Lake, um, the Fortune Lake State Park there, and Bowabic State right. Park and Pentoga. But um, any other favorites? Well, certainly Caspian. Oh, yes. Um, the museum there at Caspian is just, I mean, you could spend weeks in there and not see everything. It's, it's an incredible place. Um, I also did uh, something on Pentoga Park, mm -hmm. which is there by near Caspian too. So, right. um, but uh, Pentoga Park, I thought was really kind of a, kind of a neat place. It's got a nice, neat background with, you know, having been a native village there. And so I, uh, I, I liked I liked that, but that's um, I'm always looking for um, different stuff over over that way too. Um, when I came over to see Evelyn that time, there was a I can't remember the name of it now. I know where it is, but there was a little park that I stopped in. It was by a lake, and has a little hiking trail through the woods there. It was Narrow just it to down. The east You're of, in the UP. A park. I know. It was just. The, I can't think of the name of it right now. Uh, was that it was, just the, was that Glidden of, uh, Crystal Lake? Falls? What's that? Glidden Lake. Glidden Lake. Yep. That's yep. it. That's a very nice trail. Yep. It has that boardwalk. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah, that, that's one that's on my list. I did some photography there while I was there, and that sort of thing. Now I want to go over there and spend a couple of nights hiking that hiking that trail there's a looks like there's a really nice wetland boardwalk there too as well and so for sure i'll end up going over there and checking it out bring, bring so, your but i'm always looking for stuff in every area so what's that evelyn bring your bug spray 
always. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they, that's no matter where you go up here. Yeah. Always bring the bug spray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, any other have questions? That. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we're we're nearing the end of our oh, we got one. Mary, Mary, Mary. This isn't a question, but I just want to tell you, I just gave one of your books to a friend today for her birthday. And I have one for me and keeping it in my car, like um, Evelyn. And another one is going to go to somebody else. I don't know who yet. (laughs) I love your book. I love it. I love it. Yep. Yeah, it's great because I think like I haven't been to all these places that you talk about. But I have been to like the Iron County Museum and Pantoga Park and Bawabic State Park. And I know how neat they are. So then you start thinking, wow, all these places are probably equally as neat. They're their own little treasures and their own little private parts of the UP. And, you know, I, I want to explore. I, th- I think it's a, it's a great book that way. It's really cool. Yeah, I'd like to add that, uh, Mike, you lead a very interesting life. Yeah, we we'd gone on a hike from uh, we we hiked from Munising to Grand Marais through Pictured Rocks. Um, myself, um, a friend of mine from Grand Marais named Dave Beckwith, Jane and her daughter. Um, that was really quite a hike, a lot of fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. we had a really good time and got to see some really neat stuff. Oh, so. Thank you. Do you want to give a quick commercial for your new book? Yeah. Um, the new book, True Tales, is really quite a quite a project for me. I uh, again, it's one of those kind of things that I've spent uh, quite a few years doing the research on. It's full of different sort of lost, little known incidents from across the UP. The such as the guy on the cover, who is uh, Ryman Halsey, the guy who went around claiming he was Black Bart and um, robbed a stagecoach near Lake Bogebic and um, became a UP notorious outlaw. And the uh, he was chased down, he was hunted down and uh, was really an odd character. He always claimed that um, when he did bad things and he had been robbing different places and people before he got to the UP, he lived in Wisconsin. But um, when uh, he uh, got to the UP and did the stagecoach robbery over by Lake Ogilvie, he ended up murdering someone. And when he killed the guy that set loose a manhunt for him that um, eventually he was picked up in Republic, Michigan, which is that picture on the cover. Um, that's the sheriff from Republic um, arresting Ryman Halsey. And Ryman, when he was, when they picked him up, complimented the sheriff on what a great job he had done arresting, arresting him. Um, they shipped him back to Bessemer, um, which was the jurisdiction uh, for Gogebic County at the time. And he immediately talked the inmates into helping him escape and they all got loose. The only one they wanted to chase down was Ryman, 
apparently the other guys were probably mostly in there for drunken disorderly and a variety of other things. So they weren't really as much of a, um, uh, right. much of a catch as uh, Ryman was. So they went, they got the dogs loose and set out on a manhunt for him, got him back again, um, sent him to prison in Marquette where again he decided to make an escape attempt um and the um warden who apparently was an extremely good shot um Ryman had one of the prisoners by the neck with a knife and the warden shot the knife out of his hand taking his thumb and index finger with the bullet um so he ended up only having three fingers left on that hand, but the warden had had enough of him, sent him to Ionia prison, and um, which is basically a mental health facility in you know lower Michigan for those that don't know. And uh, while he was there, they did an operation on his head and found out that he indeed had had a blow to the head and had a piece of uh, bone pushing on his brain. So they fixed that. And when he came back, he was a model prisoner. He, he was, um, he, he got interested in photography, uh, became the official prison photographer, went to work on the prison newspaper, and um, had uh, started doing a, a thing which we're all really familiar to, with today. He started Marquette Prison doing face and side views of a mug shot. They had never done that before. The most, most pictures they had of these criminals were like what you see on the cover of the book. And so he basically invented the idea of the, what we, we consider the traditional mug shot now. And anyway, when he got out of prison, he um, went to start a photography studio in Marquette Marquette wasn't having anything to do with him and basically ran him out of town because of his past. But he went out towards Yellowstone um, and out west and became a very well-known photographer out there. Um, a friend of mine sent me a note the other day who lives in Marquette. His name's Jack Dio. He has Ryman's actual camera now. He found it somewhere. Um, somebody sold it to him. So he's got some, he actually has um, his old Marquette camera and um, Mar the Marquette business cards and all of that. Anyway, Ryman ended up after photographing out west and stuff, um, got himself a house in the on Captiva Island in the Sanibel Islands in Florida, lived for about 25 years, eventually died as an old man. The question became at the time was how he was actually able to live those 25 years. Um, Captiva Island when he didn't make any money. Um, there was, of course, a lot of rumors going around that he had stashed a lot of his ill-gotten gains from the early days, went and got them where he had stashed them or buried them or whatever, and used it to live out the rest of his life. Sure. So he's a real interesting character. I really caught quite a chuckle out of him. So, But that's one of, just one of the stories that's in uh, true tales. So I tried to do a lot of different, smaller, um, more focused subjects so that um, 
it isn't like this happened in 1882, this happened in 1883. It's not like that at all. It's just different short um, types of uh, stories about the different people that uh, helped settle the Upper Peninsula and uh, live their lives here. It's uh, there are a lot of crazy stories have come out of that doing the research for that book. So it's thanks. And Bill came on the chat and said he'd like to know about the new book, which we just talked about, and other books. Um, Bill, I can I can honestly really recommend this one. A lot of good stories in here. We read this one before, and um, uh, John and Judy Bjork came on and said thank you for the discussion. All right. So, and thank you very much, Michael. And we all look forward to reading the new one. I think it, it, you gave us a good commercial there. <laughs> and everybody have a wonderful night. And the new people that were- You've been watching the UP Notable Books Club, brought to you by the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. To join or for more information, please visit us at www.upa.org or www.upnotable.com.